Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. Chapter 1. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there, and we are with the Lord's help. And if I don't get hung up too much, we're going to get through four verses verses 1 through 4. We're going to talk a little bit about the Apostle Paul and his introduction here to Titus. And last week we talked about just the kind of the backdrop of the entire book, and, and all of these are being recorded. and They'll be on the podcast. If you missed any of them, you'll be able to listen to them on the podcast. Also, if you would like my notes, I'll be glad to email you my notes. I know several request those last week. Uh, so all you got to do is shoot me an email. Let me know you'd like to have them, and I'll just shoot you my notes, what I have taken uh, as we are just journeying, beginning uh, through this, this little epistle, this little book. Now, this is a, um, what type of an epistle is this? We talked about it last week. Pastoral. Who said that? Good job, Zach. Pastoral epistle. Now, how many uh, pastoral epistles are there? Three, right? What's the order? How were how were the how were they written? What's the order? Good job. These boys were paying attention last week. First Timothy, Titus, and then Second Timothy. That's the order of the pastoral epistles. Let's take a little further. What do you call all the epistles that Paul wrote? What are they called? I hit it in passing. I didn't, I didn't park there last week and unpack that. But they're called the Pauline, the Pauline epistles, okay? How many of those did he write? Thirteen. Who said that? Good job, Zach. Yes, sir. You have to get yourself a scholarship through this class right here. <laughs> All right. I like to just go through there and glean a little bit and stop at each phrase and kind of unpack it a little bit and see what, what all's transpiring there. Titus chapter 1. Let's just read together, or I'll read. You follow along if you will, please. Uh, Titus chapter 1, verses 1 down through verse number 4 is what we are going to try to cover here this evening. And uh, I really want to get through all of this, so uh, I don't know if I'll be able to share everything I have in my notes, but we'll get what we can, and then I'll send you my notes if you'd like to have those. Uh, but Titus chapter 1 says, Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to build up the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. In his own time, he has revealed his message in the proclamation that I was entrusted with the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Whenever I open up and begin reading Titus chapter 1, and I see this salutation from the Apostle Paul, and I see um, all that he's talking about, what I really see here are some commitments of a faithful leader. And I want to try, if we can, real quickly to unpack some of these things that Paul was committed to that made him 
really the great apostle Paul. And I think these are things that we look at Paul's life and sometimes we think, boy, we can never do what Paul did. And there's probably a lot of truth in that statement. We may not be able to do all that he did, but we can be as strong of a Christian and as strong of a leader and as a strong of a Christian influence as Paul was in his day. We can be that person in our day. But it's going to take one word that it seems like a lot of people in our culture and our society today don't want anything to do with, and it's the word commitment. We're going to have to be committed to the cause of Christ. And what I see here in these first three verses, and even in verse number four, when he draws his attention to Titus, I see a man that's committed. And I want to look at several different areas where we see the Apostle Paul was committed. Before I do, though, anytime I think about commitment, I always think about this story. I remember seeing uh, an illustration years ago in a little picture, and there was this this chicken and this pig that was walking down this dirt road in this small country town and they walked right up in the main street and they looked over and at the community building there was a big sign out in the front yard and it said fundraiser for the Jones family ham and egg breakfast Saturday morning eight o'clock and the chicken looked over at the pig and said you know what we should help out in this ham and egg breakfast and the pig said whoa 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 not so fast he said for you that's a donation for me that's a commitment, right? That's really what a commitment is. This man, I am giving my life to something. I am committed to that. Just like if that pig gave ham, he'd be giving his life for that ham, right? Well, I see that in the Apostle Paul's life. This man was committed. I mean, he was not wavering. He was not in and out and up and down. And he went through a lot of trials and tribulation and hard places in life and uh, he went through mountaintop experiences, and then he went through the valleys and, and all of this. But at the end of the day, he finished strong, he finished well, because he was committed. And I believe that's what we see here in these first four verses. I want us to look at these five areas where we can see the commitment of the Apostle Paul. First of all, number one, I want you to see that he was committed to the Master. He was committed to the Master. Look what he says. In verse number 1, 1a, Paul, a slave of God. Paul, a slave of God. Now, in the Greek, the word slave means a doulos. In other words, it is a bond servant. It's someone who willfully serves, who willfully becomes the slave of the master. Freely he, he serves. And that's what Paul was doing. In Paul's entire life, he saw himself totally as a man under divine authority. I mean, this man lived under the authority of God. He sold out completely everything of himself to be a doulos, to be this bondservant, to be this slave of God. Years ago, I believe it was in uh, 2000 and. I'm going to say around 2004, somewhere around that time frame, Dr. Adrian Rogers, which has now gone on to be with the Lord, he wrote a book titled Kingdom Authority. And we had, we had a little men's study at our church at that time, and, and I led our men through a little men's study on kingdom authority in my office. They'd come in there on Wednesday nights, and we'd just go through this study together. But the premise of this whole book was this. Adrian Rogers, in the premise of his book, said this. He said, you will never be over what God has placed under you until you are under what God has placed over you. Now let that sink in. You will never be over what God 
in his master plan for you wants to place under you until you get under what God has already placed over you. You see, in our day and age, we have too many renegade Christians and renegade believers and renegade preachers and renegade churches and and they just want to do things their way and don't want any accountability or any be under any authority of any anyone else. And here Paul didn't have any problem being under the authority of God. He, he lived, he submitted his entire life to that divine authority of God and he lived there and he stayed there and he walked there. Now get this, Paul could have, He's identifying himself here in Titus chapter 1, right? Paul. How's he identifying himself? A slave of God. He could have identified himself numerous ways that would have made him, in the eyes of his reader, be so much more of an important person. But he humbly chose the word doulos, a bond slave, a bond servant. Paul was a brilliant scholar. He could have said, Paul, a brilliant scholar. I mean, this was an educated man. This was an highly educated Jewish leader. He was very well versed and learned in Greek literature and Greek philosophy. He could have said, Paul, this great theologian or this great teacher or this brilliant scholar, but he chose not to say that. He said, Paul, a slave of God. We continue reading about Paul. We know that he was a Roman citizen, which at this time, would have been a tremendous value for everybody to know that he was a Roman citizen. He could have said, Paul, this fabulous scholar, a Roman citizen. But he chose not to say that. And he could have said that. He could have boasted about his unique calling of being an apostle and all the wonderful gifts that he had and the, and the privileges that were granted unto him and the authority to come alongside the twelve. He could have said all of that, but he chose to say, a slave of God. He could have said, I am Paul, who was called up into the third heavens, and I have seen the risen Lord. But he did not say that. And we read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 and 4. He could have said, Paul, the one who does these great, or has this gift of miracles. And he could have said, I am Paul, the one who has been chosen to pen the majority of the entire new covenant. The New Testament, 13 epistles I wrote. I am Paul, the great author. But he chose not to say that. He chose to say Paul, a doulos, a humble servant, a bond slave, a slave of God. A bond slave was the most humble, was the most self-abasing person in the culture of Paul's day. I mean, it was, the, it was the lowliest position that anyone could have in society and culture. And Paul said, that's who I am. I want you to know that Paul was, Paul was in complete but willing bondage to God. And I look, I, whenever I think about that, I ask myself, am I a doulos? Am I a bondservant? Am I in complete submission to the divine authority in my life and that being God? You see, because in order to say that, you've got to realize that you relinquish, relinquish all rights to your life. You surrender all of your plans and purposes and all of your dreams and goals and 
Paul had no life that he called his own. He had no will of his own. He had no purpose of his own. He had no plan of his own. He was in complete subject and submission to his master. He was committed to his master. I'm reminded in Romans chapter 6. I want you to turn there. Look, look in Romans chapter 6. There's a general sense in which every believer, every child of God that has accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. It talks about in Romans chapter 6 how we have been freed from sin. We've been enslaved to God. And a result of being enslaved to God and being freed from sin is sanctification and the outcome is eternal life. And you get that out of Romans chapter 6 in verse number 22. So I don't know, whenever I look at that, I think, hmm, to be a Christian, to be a disciple, to be a true follower of God, I think there's something we can take away from the very first four or five words into this epistle. Paul, a slave of God. And I believe for any of us to be an effective spiritual leader, to be an effective spiritual Christian, I believe we're going to have to have a deep awareness that we live our life under the divine authority of God. And that's a good place for an amen, right? I mean, we've got to recognize that He is our master. And Paul was committed to Him. The awareness, get this, the awareness that God is our master and that we are simply a slave. Let that just sink in. It changes our entire perspective on life. If we could just live under the impression and under the idea that we are a doulos, that we're simply just a bond slave. You see, because a doulos a bond slave, a bond servant. Listen, they, they do not seek to fulfill personal agendas, right? There's people that kind of get involved in ministry just to fulfill a personal agenda. That was nowhere near the Apostle Paul. He was not in this to create personal fame for himself. He wasn't in this to get another notch in his belt. He wasn't trying to build a personal empire, if you will. He was just a doulos, just a servant of God. And he was committed to that. And so I guess the first takeaway is, are we committed? And I think we have to be. If, if we're going to be the Christian that God's called us to be, and if we're going to be the disciple that he's called us to be, if we're going to be the Christ follower that he's called us to be, we must die out to ourself, right? We must die out to ourself. Die out to our own personal agendas and personal goals and personal ambitions and just be in complete submission to the master and wherever he leads us in this life we just say lord i will follow wherever you lead me i'll follow i am yours and what happens is in that process of following god what happens too often with us as believers and myself included is that oftentimes our personal agendas get in the way our personal desires get in the way our personal things that we enjoy and I'm, not, I'm not even talking about sinful things okay i'm not talking about sinful vile things we know we remove that from our life but i'm talking about good things that we enjoy guys we gotta we gotta die out to that right and that's one one of the things we see that paul was committed to the master he was honored to be committed 
to the master. And he had this commitment. Paul, a slave of God. And whenever I read that, I question myself. Could it be said, could I pen a letter that reads, John, a slave of God? I want to, and I know you do as well. You wouldn't be here on Wednesday night. <laughs> you want that as well. I think we all aspire to have that and to be that. But you know what? We've got to think about that every single day. I mean, we really got to die out to that. Paul said, I die daily. I crucify the flesh daily. The flesh rose up every single day in Paul's life, and he, he crucified the flesh every single day so that he could be this bondservant, freely under the master serving. All right? So he was committed to what? The master. Second thing I want you to see that he was committed to, and we see this in 1B through 2A, we see that he was committed to God's mission. Not only was he committed to the master, but he was also committed to God's mission. Well, what is his mission? In short, you're going to see it there, to evangelize, to edify, and to encourage. And that's what he's doing there in the salutation. You see, this is the same mission. <laughs> I like this. This is the same mission that should bind every preacher, every teacher, every church leader, and every born-again Christ follower, every believer should be committed to this mission. A lot of times we look at this and we say, yeah, but that was Paul, okay? He was the Apostle Paul. Yes, he's going to be committed to the Master, and yes, he's going to be committed to the mission. But let me tell you something. We all should be committed to the Master, and we all should be committed to the mission. Like after the lesson last, last Wednesday, Dan comes up to me, and, and, we, and I was talking about how here in the next week or two we're going to get into some of the qualifications of a, of a minister and a pastor and and, uh, and, and Dan came up and had a very good point. He said, you know what? That should be, that every man should live for those, to those qualifications. I mean, really, that's the qualification for a pastor, but we all should aspire to live in such a way, right? To be a, to be a man, a woman, boy, girl, used of God, then I think there are some things that we should aspire to live towards. So here we see that he was committed to God's mission. This was, out beside this, I want you to write down, evangelizing, if you will. And out beside that, I want you to write down, this was Paul's first responsibility, okay? I mean, he went, he went through the region as a disciple maker, okay? A byproduct of being a disciple maker was the fact that he got to plant churches. Now, sometimes we get that reversed. Sometimes we think the mission of the church is plant more churches. That's not the mission of the church. I'm preaching on the mission of the church on Sunday mornings. What's the mission of the church? Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me that you go and what? Make disciples of all nations. The mission of the church is to make disciples. And Paul was a great disciple maker. And when he went through the regions making disciples, all of a sudden now you've got all these believers. Well, now they need to assemble themselves together, and now they need to form a church. But he didn't set out to form churches, right? I want you, I want you to see the difference here. He didn't set out to plant churches on his missionary journey. You remember when he went to Philippi? Remember the first lady he met? She was down by the waterway, and it was a lady of, of purple, a very, a very rich lady, very wealthy lady. A, that, and you remember how he led her to the Lord? Paul was a disciple maker, right? Remember he got thrown in jail for preaching the gospel, and next thing you know, the Philippian jailer is saved in his whole household and baptized, right? Now, all these saved people in Philippi now need a church. 
a place where they can assemble together and learn together and worship together and, and hold each other accountable and serve together and bear each other's burdens and all these things that we're to do as believers. But Paul did not set out initially to plant churches. And I've, I've kind of heard that preach and heard that alluded to and what have you, and, and I kind of differ right there. He set out to make disciples. He didn't set out to do anything different than Jesus has commanded us to do, right? Make disciples. Now, the byproduct of going into a community and into a region and making disciples, hey, yeah, now we can have a church, but we don't go to plant a church. We go to make disciples, right? So that's the, pri the primary mission, if you will, to evangelize, to share the gospel. Now, if you remember this past Sunday I, I'm, or the last several Sundays, I've been preaching how it's, it's more than just converts. We've got to make disciples, and it's more than just a conversion, but that's where it starts, okay? This, this evangelizing. Look what he says in verse number 1b, to build up the faith of God's elect. Paul first recognized that, that his responsibility is to help bring God's elect to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, question, who is God's elect? Are there an elect group of people that are predestined to be saved and another group of people that are predestined to be lost and they're damned for hell and they have no decision in it whatsoever. Now, there's a group that believe that. Large, there's a large Baptist group that believes that. It's called Calvinism. I am not a Calvinist. We follow the teachings of, of, of really, I believe, Scripture. But there was a big divide back in, back in the 16th century or so and with Joseph Arminius and John Calvin in the 18th century and through. And, uh, and Joseph Arminius believed that Jesus died for the sins of the entire world, right? So who are the elect? Now, let me ask you this, and this is kind of getting off the beaten path a little bit, and this is why I can't get through five points in one hour because I chase these rabbits. And, but who are the elect? Now, they are the chosen, yes. Gentiles. There you are. That's exactly right. If we accept his son. So who are the elect? The elect are those that have chosen to accept Christ as their personal Savior. Why do we talk about the elect and predestined? Because this is, this is what I want you to see. God is omniscient. Right? He's all-knowing. The word oops or uh-oh or... I never saw that coming, is not in God's vocabulary, right? I mean, before the foundations of the earth were ever laid, God knew who you would be, when you would be born. And by the way, I'm going to get into this in just a moment, but I'll go ahead and stick it in right here, and then I'll hit it again when I get there. The plan of salvation did not come after the fall of man in the garden. And God said, uh-oh, they messed up, they sinned, now what? The plan of salvation was put in place before anything was ever created. Because God wanted a people who would choose to love Him. Right? Can, can you make someone love you? You can't. Now, I may make it so hard on you and I may confine you and I may beat you up and I may tell you to tell me you love me and you may tell me you love me just so I quit beating you. But is that love? No, that's a, that's a dictator. That's, that's commanding, dictating someone. You tell me you love me. 
And that's not true love. Love is when I choose to love you. It's when I, I think, you know what? I, I know. And we look at each other and we look at our spouses, we look at our family. We know we're not perfect. But I choose to love you in spite of your imperfections. Not that my wife has any. Just threw it out there. Right? It's a choice. Right? So the elect and God's foreknowledge are those that have chosen His Son, Jesus Christ, as their personal Savior. Now, whenever God looks over all of humanity, He can look at the elect because He knows who's going to choose Him. Everybody has the opportunity, right? Jesus died for the sins of the entire world. John 3, 16, one of the foundational Bible verses that we remember memorized as a child. For God so loved just a few. No, who said it? The world. Right? That he gave his only begotten son, that if just these few elect, no, that if who what? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay? So you, you see what I'm saying here? So it's God knows those who are, who are going to trust in him. So he wants to build up back to Titus chapter 1. I kind of ran that rabbit. Let me come back here. Back to Titus chapter 1 to build up the faith of God's elect. Paul recognized that I need to be preaching the gospel so we can build the faith of God's elect. Those that God knows are going to accept the gospel and be saved, those are the elect, so I can bring them to a saving faith, a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. Listen, Paul was a doulos for one reason, and that was simply to proclaim the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? He wasn't in this thing to be the most famous preacher of the New Testament. He wasn't in this thing just to brag about his authorship of writing 13 books of the New Testament. He wasn't in this for any personal gain whatsoever. He was in this simply to be a doulos, to proclaim the saving message, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do I know that? In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, you need to jot that verse down. The Bible says, and Paul wrote this when he was writing to the believers in Rome. He says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the what? Word of God. So how do we have faith in Jesus Christ? We hear the word of God proclaimed. We hear the gospel message. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Here's something else I want you to see. Paul now is in this evangelizing. It's his first responsibility. Okay, And here's where I want you to see that faith, get this now, faith actuates justification. All right? Now let me see if I can unpack that for you. Faith actuates justification. The word actuate means it places in motion justification. Okay? It causes justification. Listen. Because we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the moment we place our faith in Him, justification has begun, has started. Well, what? before I can really shout amen and glory hallelujah and say a good hearty amen, i got to know what justification means. What is justification? If faith actuates justification. What is justification? Here's the most simplest definition of the term justification and once I say it you'll remember it from now to Jesus comes get this justification means just as if I've never 
sinned. God looks at me now through the portals of heaven. He sees me clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he sees me as if I have never sinned. That is justification. Just as if I have never sinned. How do I get justified? Not by good works. Not by coming to church. Not by tithing. Not by all these religious activities that that so many people get caught up in doing. How do we get justified? By faith. By hearing the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting in Him by faith. Through the grace of God, we are saved through faith. And justification is actuated. It begins the process of God looking at me now as if I have never sinned. Because I have been placed in and clothed in the righteousness of God's Son who knew no sin, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Mm, That's good stuff, right? To build up the faith of God's elect. To build up the faith of God's elect. Romans 4 and 5. Jot jot these references down. You may not have time to to turn there as I'm reading them, but, but Romans 4 and 5. To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Now get that. Let me read that again. To the one who does not work, in other words, you're not working for your justification, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Well, how does he justify the ungodly? He finishes it. His faith is reckoned as righteousness. Romans 4 and 5. Ephesians 2 and 8. For by grace have you been saved through faith. Even that, that is the faith is not of yourself, is a gift of God. I mean, just the fact that God gifts us with the ability to have faith in Him. Right? Therefore now we are justified. I like what we're talking about this evangelizing to build up the faith of God's elect. I want you to know that, that Paul preached... What do you think Paul preached? He preached Christ, right? Jot this reference down. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 through 25. He reminded the Corinthians that we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks. There you go, Dan. Both Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. He was saying we preach Christ and Him crucified. That's where our evangelizing comes. That's where our faith comes from. That's where our justification is actuated. That's where it all begins. 1 Corinthians 2 and 1 and 2, he goes on and he writes, he says, when I came to you, brethren, get this, Paul says, when I came to you, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined, get this, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul said, when I came into Corinth, I didn't come in with this superior speech and these words of wisdom and and tried to be a scholarly person. I came in with one message. It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And guys, that's the only message we can proclaim for salvation, right? That's the evangelized part. That's the only thing that can evangelize, that can, can convert a sinner, is the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want you to know that the duty of evangelizing is the duty of every single one of us. It's what we've all been called to do. 
to go make disciples. And that starts by sharing the gospel. And, and on Sunday mornings, I'm sharing with you the five stages of discipleship. And number one is what? Dead. Just dead to sin. Spiritually dead, right? So there needs to be a revitalization taking place. And that only happens when the gospel is clearly presented. And the duty of evangelism, I believe, is preaching the gospel with clarity. Right? Not muddying up the water. With clarity. There's only one way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Right? That's a pretty simple. That's, that's, a, that's a clear definition of salvation. Jesus said, he said, he said, I am not another way. He didn't say I am a way. He said, I am the way. That's a divine imperative. I am the way. Right? If we want to get to heaven, if we want to be born again, if we want to be justified, just as if we have never sinned, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, then we, we can only go one way. And that's with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul said, that's what I've come preaching. So that's the evangelizing. That was his first responsibility. Look in 1C there. Paul, a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to build up the faith of God's elect and, get this, their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Wow. Think about this one now. Second responsibility in fulfilling this commitment to God's mission is to edify those who have believed and trusted in Jesus Christ by teaching them the full counsel of the Word of God so that they would have a knowledge of the truth of God's Word, which therefore leads to, fill in the blank for me, godliness. How do we live a godly life? By being built up in the knowledge of the truth of God's Word. Right? Right? Godliness doesn't happen. I, I tell you, when I first got saved, Man, I wasn't the next day just a godly person. I mean, I'm just a sinner saved by grace just trying to figure out what's going on in my life, right? I mean, I, I had aspirations of living a godly life, but I still had some, some habits and some things in my life that just weren't pleasing to God. But as I came to more and more knowledge of the truth of the Word of God, and as I started applying those, and let me just say, let me just stop right here. Truth received will always bring you more truth. But until you receive the truth that's already been delivered to you, don't look for any more truth to be delivered to you because God's waiting for you to start applying the truth that you already know. Right? I mean, if He's loaded your wagon and my wagon with some truth of the knowledge of the Word of God and we're not applying it, He's not going to load us up with much more truth until we, until we start applying what we've already learned. I mean, it's just like building a house. You can have all the materials delivered the same day, but the trusses are going to sit there until they rot, until there's a foundation, right? And then until there's some walls, and then until they're supported. I mean, they can, they can be there on the lot. You, you get what I'm saying? The same thing with the knowledge of truth. Paul said, part of my job is to edify. It's to build you up in the knowledge of truth. And he said, yes, I evangelize, I share the gospel, but I must also edify. I must build you up in the knowledge of truth. I must declare unto you the full counsel of God's word so that you can be sanctified by the knowledge of truth. Get this. Knowledge refers to a clear perception of truth. 
Okay? For me to have knowledge of God's Word, it means I have come to the place where I clearly perceive what the truth of God's Word is. I have an understanding of it. And going through the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace classes, Dave Ramsey says this, and I think it even applies here. And he was talking about sitting down with your insurance agent and sitting, sitting down with your retirement uh, financial advisor. And, and he said, if you're not real careful when you're sitting down with these guys, they can talk over your head and, and, and they'll tell you all of this and that that's going on. And, and you'll say, okay, and you'll walk out of there and you have no idea what he said. He says this. He said, do not leave that desk until you can explain what is happening financially in your life with insurance or retirement or whatever. And if you can't explain it back to someone, then you do not know exactly what's going on. You do not understand. You do not comprehend, right? And that's with anything. Okay, so let's apply that. Let's kind of bring that into this. In the teaching of the truth of the Word of God and getting the knowledge of the Word of God, if we can't explain it, then we have not perceived the truth of it to its fullness because we don't understand it, right? Now, I'm not saying, get this, there, there's still parts, there's doctrines in God's Word that, that sometimes I look at and I still can't get my arms completely around it. But I am, I am processing truth every single day of my life. I'm applying truth every day of my life. I'm trying to grow by getting more and more of the truth of the Word of God. And what Paul has in mind is this saving truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that leads to salvation where faith is exercised justification is actuated and the knowledge of truth is bringing about sanctification which is godliness did you track with me there okay there's a process that's taking place in our life and the ultimate goal is to be sanctified what is sanctified it means to be set apart godly living now we don't we listen we do not live godly to be justified or sanctified or to have faith or to get faith or to merit salvation, or to get heaven. That's the cart before the horse, right? We have faith, with, which, which then actually, we have the clear presentation of the gospel, which we exercise our faith, which actuates justification, just as if we've never sinned. And now we're getting the knowledge of the Word of God. You see the progression here? Which then leads to sanctification, which is godliness, which is now being set apart for the glory of God. Right? So just accepting Christ as your Savior, my, 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 that's, that's an infant stage. There's so much more that God has for all of us. And Paul is saying, I am a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to build up the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Do you see the progression there? Man, this is good stuff, isn't it? Don't you like this? I love this stuff. And this is why I can't get through five points in an hour. I love this verse. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 through 4. This is the aspect of the truth that he mentions to Timothy. In which he assures us that God our Savior desires all men to be saved. Get this. God, what? God desires all men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of truth. That's in 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. And 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25. It's kind of both. They're all alluded to there. 
God's desire is that all men come, that all men be saved, and come to the knowledge of truth. By contrast, a person who does not genuinely seek God or His way of salvation, I believe falls into 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, where it says they're always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth that saves. There are people that have the cart before the horse. They're getting all the knowledge and trying to understand everything, but the Bible says they're always learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of truth that saves. Right? But God desires us to come to the knowledge of truth that saves. So godliness, and that's what he mentions there in chapter 1 and verse 1 and verse number 2, the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Godliness, get this, godliness is the manifestation of the Spirit's work of sanctification. Okay? Godliness is the manifestation of the Spirit's work in our life of sanctification. Whenever we look at someone and we think, man, that, that's a godly woman. Or that's a godly man. Do you think they got that way overnight? Do you think they got that way by themselves? How did they get that way? God, living in submission, faith, actuating, justification, getting the knowledge of the truth, which leads to godliness, which is the manifestation of the Spirit working in our life, which is sanctification. So to look at someone and say, man, that's a godly man, or that's a godly woman. And, and by the way, there ought to be some people that we look up to like that, that we aspire to be, that we have some role models in our life, now listen, I didn't say heroes. There's a difference in having a role model and a hero. And all your heroes need to be dead. And I'm serious. Right? I've got some heroes in the faith that I look up to as heroes that finished well. And I look at them and I think, that's how I want to finish. That's how I want to die. Right? That's what I want to be said over me. That's what I want people talking about in the crowd as they come through the receiving of friends in line. And, and listen, by the way, honey, when I die, don't, don't mourn. All, all is, it is well with my soul, right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? Don't mourn over my loss. You, you may be saying, well, preacher, we never were anyway, so don't worry about that. Right? Rejoice. Tell funny stories. Let somebody preach. Somebody sing. Share the gospel at my funeral. Amen. You hear me, baby? You jotting all this stuff down? Right? Why? Because I want to finish strong, I want to finish well, and I've got some heroes that have done that. Now, I've got some role models I look at now, and I'm kind of tracking with them, but I want to make sure they don't mess up and stumble and fall. But our ultimate hero is the Lord, right? Paul's a good one. You can look at him. He, he could be a hero for you. He finished well, Right? So now we're, we're talking about this godliness now that we are to live. And how, how do we get to the point of living a godly life? We, it starts all the way back here with the gospel being presented. Faith, actuating, justification. Now coming to the knowledge of the truth, which is the Holy Spirit working in our life now, 
which is the manifestation is what? Sanctification, which is being separated and being a godly, a godly person. And that takes time. But that's what Paul said. He said, I am committed to God's mission. And what's the mission? I'm going to preach the gospel. And then once they accept Christ as their Savior, I'm not going to stop. Now I'm going to build them up in the knowledge of the truth. By the way, that's what this is tonight. It's, build, it's edifying. Hopefully we're being edified here. We're coming to the knowledge of the truth. So hopefully the end result is going to be godliness, that, that we live a godly life. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, Paul, a slave of God, an apostle, to build up the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And then he says, in the hope of eternal life. I just want you to know that, that sound doctrine is vitally important. Sound doctrine is important. Some people, I remember I was in a, uh, and I see the time, it's 7.52. And this is the second point, so we'll cover the rest of them next week. But, but let me finish here. I was in a uh, business meeting, a church business meeting years ago, not, not here in Illinois, it was back, and I won't even say the location, but, and we were in a business meeting of, of, of a gathering of sister churches, sort of like a district meeting, state meeting type thing. And in, the, in that meeting, we were talking about doctrine, and there was some false doctrine that had slipped into some of our churches, and, and we were trying to straighten that out, you know, it happens. And as we were doing that and we were having this debate and this discussion, somebody finally stood up and said, you know what? Who cares about doctrine? Let's just worship the Lord. And he sat down. And I thought about that. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, that's one of the most foolish statements I think I've ever processed or heard in my life. Because how can you worship without sound doctrine? How, how can you worship in, and Jesus said in John 4, remember he said, those that worship me, worship me how? In spirit and in truth. So how can we worship apart from sound doctrine? Sound doctrine is vitally important. And that's what Paul, he said, I am edifying you with the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. 1 Timothy, matter, matter of fact, in 1 Timothy, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Peter, all of these allude if you want to jot down the reference for a future study, 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 4. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 4. Do you think Paul put some emphasis on sound doctrine? Sure he did. And we live, listen guys, we live in an age today where people are, churches are throwing doctrine out the door. I mean, they're throwing, throwing it out. We're just going to do whatever it takes to draw a crowd. And God forbid we make anybody mad by preaching the gospel, so let's don't preach anything that's going to... Matter of fact, there's movements all across America today that are drawing people by the thousands into those followings because they're not going to preach anything negative. I, heard a, I saw an advertisement about a church in Belleville. I saw it in the Saturday paper, the Belleville News Democrat. And in, in, the, in the announcements it said, in the church invitation page, come to our church. You'll never hear negative preaching. You'll never hear anything about hell. You'll never hear anything negative. All we have is positive. Well, I like positive. But what makes the positive a positive? The fact that there's some negatives. Right? What makes heaven such a sweet thing? The fact that there's a hell that we can shun and a heaven that we can gain. 
Are you with me? Uh, I won't get into all that. But Paul was, he was, he was on mission to build up through the edification. And then the last one is encouragement. Look what, look what he says in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse, verse or, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 2. In the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, get this, or in verse number 2, in the hope of eternal life. Guys, you realize there's hope for every single one of us? I don't know how many of you guys last night caught Rick Warren and Kay Warren's CNN interview about the, the interview of their son Matthew that committed suicide and back at Easter and what a moving what a moving interview that was and testimony they have but I love what his wife said at the end because it ended kind of somber and it was kind of a hard interview to, to listen to and she said oh no, no no we can't end on the negative I want you to know there's hope and she talked about hope well what is that hope that's what Paul's talking about in the hope of eternal life this is Paul's third responsibility in, in the mission in being committed to God's mission, responsibility number one, evangelize. Responsibility number two, to edify. And responsibility, responsibility number three is to encourage. He wanted to bring biblical encouragement to the believers. And that was based on the guarantee of a hope of eternal life. One day to be able to live with the Lord forever and ever. Paul speaks of that hope in Titus 2, verse 13. Paul speaks of our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Titus 3 and 7, he talks about being justified by His grace that we may be, heir, be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Guys, here's what I want you to know. Paul is not speaking of some wistful desire for something that is possible but uncertain. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something that's certain. All right? This isn't some wishful thinking about, man, I hope so. You know, I hope everything works out. That's not what he's talking about. This hope is, is a secure hope. And if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, it's a hope of eternal life. It's the believer's deepest longing. It's affirmed and guaranteed by God in his word. In 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 4 through 5, the scripture says, for indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan. Get this verse of scripture. Paul says, while we are in this tent, we groan. What's this tent? This body. While we're living here in this life, we groan. Don't we do that? We do. We, oh, it's, it's hard here sometimes. Sickness and pain and dying and such and heartaches and trials and suffering. And in this body, we groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed but to be clothed in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by eternal life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. And he's talking about that hope. Let me give you three things about hope and I'm going to hit this and be done. I'm really going to hit it fast and be done. Eternal life is the reality of salvation. Okay? I want you to get that. Eternal life is the reality of salvation. And it's the hope of life that we have, of the hereafter, that every believer has. But I want you to see that the hope of eternal life gives us encouragement in three ways. I'm just going to give you the three words and the references. I want you to jot them down and, and you can study these. The hope of eternal life gives us encouragement to holiness. To holiness. 
It gives us encouragement to service. And it gives us encouragement to suffering. Now, for holiness, and I'm not going to have time to unpack this, but the hope of eternal life gives us encouragement to holiness. I want you to jot down beside that 1 John 3. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Okay? 1 John 3, 2 and 3. It gives us encouragement to holiness. Number two, the hope of eternal life gives us encouragement for service. It's for holiness, for service. The scripture reference for that is 1 Corinthians 3, 12 and 14. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 and 14. And Matthew 25, 21. And I may start with this next week, but I want you to get it. Then the third one is the hope of eternal life gives encouragement to endure suffering. To endure suffering. And that's Philippians 3, 8, 10, and 11. And then Romans 8, 18, and 23. Okay? The hope of eternal life gives us three things. Encouragement to holiness, encouragement for service, and encouragement to endure suffering. And guys, listen. I want to live holy because one day I know I'm going to see Jesus and I'm going to stand before him, right? So that's that encouragement for holiness because of eternal life. The second thing, service. I want to serve here. I want to serve because I know one day I won't be able to serve anymore. One day I'll be in heaven with the Lord. I want to, I want to be his vessel of honor while I'm here. And the third thing, it, it, it helps us endure suffering. We're going to have heartaches here on this earth, but I can get through the sufferings here because I know they are short-lived in view of eternity, right? The life we live here is just a grain of sand on the seashore compared to all eternity that we're going to live forever and ever. So we may be going through suffering for a while. The psalmist says that weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning, right? There is a day when there's no more suffering. There is a day when there's no more heartache. There is a day when there's no more trials. There is a day when there's no more sickness. That's the hope of eternal life that we have. And if we live our life with heaven in view, we can endure the sufferings that we're going to go through in this walk, in this life. Right? All right, I got to stop. I went over. I apologize. But that's some good stuff. And uh, we will, they're out there knocking. We will uh, continue. We'll pick up right there next week in verse number 2b. And we'll start with this third commitment, which is God's message, okay? Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your word, and thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives us understanding. And help us, God, to be as committed to you as the Apostle Paul was. Help us to be committed to you, our master, and help us to be committed to your mission in all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, O'Fallon, Illinois, 
1-800-242-6269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.